When you hear the phrase, soft as steel, what do you think of? While the word steel might conjure up images such as massive high-rise buildings, where does the soft part come in? And what exactly does this mean in our work and in our lives? Welcome to the Soft as Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran, featuring engaging conversations with a wide range of industry leaders around soft skills, how we practice love, inclusion, social justice, and compassionate leadership that's everlasting in the workplace. And now, here's Dennis Duran. Today's guest has spent over half of his career teaching engineers about the business part of their profession, but that's only part of his story. Lee has also served as a consultant to international engineering organizations specializing in strategy, team building, relationship management, and leadership. He has a comprehensive understanding of both the technical and human components required for achieving significant operational performance. Most recently, Lee joined a heavy civil construction contractor as its CEO. I met Lee during our brief time as forum chairs for the Canadian Peer Learning Organization, McKay CEO Forums. Lee's journey as a teacher and consultant has benefited many folks, not only their technical and professional knowledge and capabilities, but their personal as well, what I like to call soft skills. Lee, welcome to the Soft to Steel podcast. Well, thanks, Dennis. It's good to be here. I'd like that introduction, huh? Well, very good. Yeah. I, almost as if I knew some of it had been written by me. Yeah, well, it, and some of it may have well been written by you. But, uh, <laughs> but I think, yeah, again, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Of the folks that have had the privilege of, of having these conversations on my podcast, you're one that I've uh, that I was very interested in to to get on the podcast. We don't know each other that well. We had brief encounters and connected for a bit at McKay as forum chairs, uh, as two of the earliest uh, U.S. chairs in that organization. And then I went on my way, and and now you've gone on yours as well. I'm really interested to try to marry your thoughts and feelings with regards to the chapter you're in currently that you've entered as by virtue of becoming the CEO of this closely held company. And what I talk about quite a bit, which I alluded to in my closing sentence, which is this whole idea of how important it is to not simply develop people from the ground up uh, in terms of their technical skills or mechanical abilities or their trade or craft abilities in, the, in our industry, their scientific abilities, etc. But also, and the way I phrase it, which I'd be interested in your thoughts about, about this idea, I talk about the, the need, the urgency in the construction industry to develop the whole person not simply to take a person that's coming out of a degree program or coming out of a high school and coming into their profession or their craft or trade, but also developing them as, as people and doing that from the very beginning days of their entry into our great industry. So let's start with that. And again, I think I'm particularly interested in drawing from your relatively recent experience, but you are, after all, the CEO, uh, the leader of this closely held organization. And so I'd be interested first to to hear how you came to come in to become the CEO of uh, Swagger Brothers. I have a long history of working as a senior executive within the giant engineering firms. I was with AMEC. Then I was a consultant to AMEC Foster Wheeler, which is now Wood, which is your 40,000-person engineering firm. They own this company, and they have a division called Investment Services, which they collect the companies that are not aligned with the big organization, 
but are unique little companies. And this is one, it was struggling a year and a half ago, got itself righted. They needed to some have somebody come in and set it up so that it's prepared to ultimately be sold out of the wood investment portfolio, which will happen sometime in the future. But most importantly, to stabilize the management. And you know your introduction and comments about soft skills uh, from the very beginning hits right on as far as I'm concerned. I spend more of my time building culture than I do anything technical about what we do. Uh, I certainly understand our business. We move dirt in large quantities and do concrete at grade, all of those. I know what that is. But the heart of our organization, and we've got about 35 full-time management people and then another 150 craft folks in our two offices. But a long answer to your question about how I came here. So I came here to stabilize the organization and really align the management team to be working together uh, on the soft side. Mm-hmm. It's uh, being owned by a, a British company, has its own challenges, and you have the need to respect corporate and corporate's needs and their issues, but you're also running a business that requires the people on a day-to-day basis to stay focused on what they're supposed to be doing. And we spend more time talking about client relations uh, soft skills and managing people in a soft sense, mm-hmm. literally to the point that you know uh, we get folks to sit down and talk about just terminology and how they address one another and how, how they respect one another's skills and heritage. And we are a very multicultural organization, so our folks are everything from China to Mexico to the United States. Canada, mm-hmm. uh, we cover we cover the spectrum. Mm-hmm. So when you when you arrived there, did this little company and probably not so little actually, but this company did they have an expression of what they would describe as as the vision for the company or what their values were? No, no, that was something that we've worked on in instilling. As a matter of fact, to, to that question, really on a broad basis, when I got here that was still labeled wood, which is the owning company. And one of the first tasks I took on was rebranding it back to its heritage name of Mm -hmm. Swigert Brothers Mm -hmm. and getting its culture and its focus to be about a standalone business working in two basic markets, Idaho and the Washington, Oregon area. And we'd run two very different businesses in those two markets. Scale. We're doing a lot of the same things, but scale is different. But getting people to align around, we're one company, we've got a single purpose, and that's having a place for people to work and be healthy and happy. Uh, Obviously, safety is always a big, big focus of ours. But you build a culture of people with the people that they understand we're in this together. We operate very transparently. Uh, we do town halls every two months. We tell everybody, everybody, everybody knows everything about what's going on, mm-hmm. uh, what we're selling, how, what our backlog is. Uh, so it's all part of creating a sense of, in a small organization, we're all, we all have a future here. 
Everybody mm-hmm. has something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And here's what's happening. Here's how you fit into that bigger picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as you well know from all of your years, uh, both in, in educating people and consulting to them and being part of, part of big organizations, you know that the, that the leader has to not only set the tone by uh, virtue of how they behave or act, but also based on uh, how they communicate to those that they lead, what their vision for the organization is, and what values are important to enable us to accomplish those visits. How did you develop your vision for this company and its in the journey it's on right now? And how did you arrive, if you have to this point, arrived at what what are the critical qualities that you espouse, again, both in how you speak with them, but also how you conduct your leadership roles? Share some of that with us. Sure. Big question. You know, you cover a lot of space in that that open-ended question, Dennis. So let's start with how I how I move this along. So when I got here, I was replacing somebody. At the time I came in, it was possible that individual might stick around in a subordinate relationship, chose not to. So I moved slowly for the first three months, uh, not making any dramatic changes, looking at the organizational structure, but getting to know everybody. Moving into this, I'm here, I'm, I am president, CEO, I'm making decisions, but gently moving along. Uh, After that three-month period or so, we started to get more um, defined about where we were going, uh, and we had some basic themes. I mentioned one of them, rebranding ourselves to Swaggart Brothers. So we're one organization working together. We're fit for purpose, um, scaling everything in the business to be appropriately sized for that for our enterprise as it goes forward. Uh, The second one was uh, dignity and respect of one another. Uh, There was a tendency uh, prior to my coming in to have a couple of people that would berate other people with other folks involved in the conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a technique that we all know does not work, but from our background in construction, unfortunately, not unusual in the heritage of construction. Mm-hmm. You know, the yelling, screaming, swearing, general superintendent or project manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the culture here. Mm-hmm. Things go wrong. It's a nature of the business. And we solve the problem when it goes wrong as a team, not throwing somebody under the bus, not immediately finger pointing, but going, okay, what did we learn from it? How do we fix it? Because I operate from the philosophy and treat everybody from the outset that I assume that you know and are here to do the right job and to do the best you can. Each of us are human and we make mistakes. Some of us have weaknesses and we need to identify those and find out where we can backfill those weaknesses. So I started with then in the next three months doing a lot of that. I meet with, uh, I do one-on-one lunches with people here in the office every week, and they're just social, get to know them. Mm-hmm. I do calls regularly to the management team in both offices. We, we instituted a thing called monthly project reviews, which are very classic in the construction industry, mm-hmm. had not been done here. 
and they're very constructive, not critical, you know, not mm-hmm. critical of people. Mm-hmm. So all of those being evidences, and you, you said it originally, when you lead, you lead, we say it so easily, we lead by example. Boy, is that tricky to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so easy. It, it just flows right off your, your tongue. Mm-hmm. But in fact, doing it means a conscious effort all of the time to remember how are you, how are you conveying what you mean? How are you behaving? Uh, how are you treating each other, treating the other people? So a lot of uh, emphasis on treating people equally and effectively. Uh, we did in the course of this period, we implemented some new software. And as you know from your career, gee, the most exciting thing that's going to happen that can go wrong in an operation when you're running it is implement mm-hmm. software. Right. And we did. Uh, now, it's critical software, it's fundamental to business, it will move us forward, but we've had our bumps. And at one point we had some tension develop out of that. Well, I stepped in and I reassigned who the project manager was because we needed a different voice to guide the people through the process. The person running it was doing the best he could, but was in over his head. Mm-hmm. So things like that as tangible examples, but what you're, what was happening was you were demonstrating to people, you don't immediately go yelling at them that that's wrong, why isn't this done, but how can you fix it and how can we fix it as a team? So we behave very much in a team setting. Mm-hmm. So I hear three, and they're terrific, I hear three values that have been ingredients in how you've begun to install, if you will, the current culture of the company. I mean, you kind of, you, you've arrived, you've been getting to know things, you're, you're talking to people, you're having lunch with people, you're having individual meetings with people, you're having town halls, you're doing a variety of things, you're, you're doing it in a measured way. And around values, you talk about patience, which I think is a, is a terrific value. You talk about laughing, and I thought that's an AKA sense of humor. There's a sense of humor in the organization. And then you talked about individual responsibility or accountability. And, uh, and again, you know, people, if they, people understand that, uh, that there are two ways to think about responsibility or accountability. One is in a punitive way, and the other is, is simply the idea that, uh, that we value you know, people taking on uh, the challenges and helping the organization be successful. And the way to do that is every person has their job. They have to interact with other people. They have to uh, execute tasks and operations. And that's all very important for us to be able to be uh, operationally successful. Any other values that, you know, that are part of your, yeah, what, well, what, what other values are, are part of this, this remake, uh, in a sense, this rebranding remake? Well, I want to build off of something yeah, you please. just said, Dennis, that w- the, the other part of this is empowerment. Uh, it's a buzzword. It's a, a, a academia when we talk about leadership skills and everything, it's empowering, but it's making empowerment tangible. What, what does that mean when we say we're going to empower somebody to do something? So this budgeting process was empowering them to lead with mm-hmm. authority, to plan and to be able to spend money appropriately within their uh, scope of responsibility. So. I think that's another key one that's right in there, but it, but it has to become something that you, you do consciously with everybody to make it, make mm-hmm. it effective. 
I mean, we can say we're going to empower the organization, but unless you bring that to life in some concrete mm-hmm. ways, it's like another great MBA. I, we MBAs like these buzzwords. We, we, you know, we've got all these buzz phrases that we throw around, but uh, the reality is that in leading an organization, you need to get people to understand it within the context of where they are in the organization. And I run an organization that has the whole spectrum. I've got an APM that's got a master's in project management from Northwestern to field superintendents that are trades guys that have come up and are now leading the organization. My senior project manager in Pocatello, who's running a major project, came out of the trades. Uh, So it's a blend of uh, how you get Mm -hmm. to leadership. So formal education, formal experience, uh, natural Mm -hmm. talent, desire to lead, uh, which is the other component that you get people in positions. Uh, I fortunately have really nice people to work with here. Mm -hmm. Good, good hearted people. Uh, in the organization, which is a delight as a leader to be around. Mm-hmm. Uh, minimal drama of managing people and human beings create drama. We all know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have much of that at all. Yeah. And we deal with it very quickly. My head of operations and I are two very senior guys. And um, we work well together and we jump on issues right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a tension point or something, we get the people involved and we deal with it right away. Mm -hmm. So um, that keeps the problems from mushrooming up. Yeah. Do you think that, again, you have a tremendous amount of experience, again, both doing and and teaching uh, over the years. When you speak with the, let's call them organizationally, your direct reports, you mm-hmm. have some number of people that directly report to you, and, and then they have responsibility for others. And when we think about, the, about an organization structure, we think about it from the, you know, the traditional view is, uh, is organizations ought to be as efficient as they can be, flatter is better, and that uh, it's about command and control. It's about making sure that, that company policies, uh, operating plans, et cetera, are properly executed which sounds all like management and sounds all like using a lot of hard skills. Right. But I hear in the way you're talking about how you are coming into this organization that those people that report to you and have others that, that in turn report to them. I always say to folks that you, if you have the responsibility for just one other person in your organization that you have to, on a day-to-day basis, direct, manage, assist, coach, whatever it may be, that you are, that you're, you're doing management because you, 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 you manage people or a single person. But because you have the responsibility for that person, the other role that you play on a day-to-day basis is to provide leadership. And leadership means that I, I understand what the plan is. I understand what we're doing. Uh, and I have to make sure that, that the people that I lead, one person to many, understand what, what the vision is, where we're going with this project, this company over the next one to five years. And then most, most importantly, and this is the part where the soft skills element comes in very heavily, that is that we have to be able to, to motivate people, you know, to, to instill energy in those people. Are you actively talking about that with your, with your folks saying, you know, you've got a responsibility for, you know, three different projects. 
So now you've got, you know, now we've just done a budget. So as we go forward, you're going to have concrete financial information with regards to into all our projects in process. You'll see how they're how they're progressing, whether we're ahead on, ahead or behind on budget, ahead or behind on schedule, whatever it may be. And so that's all going to be in your hands. And one of the things you're going to have to do is use that information in an appropriate manner to make sure that people are working uh, as hard as they can in a reasonable fashion, uh, which means not, 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 not to boot in the ass, not a light in the fire, but simply doing things to motivate them. And there are a variety of things that constitute motivation. Are you starting to teach your, your leaders, the folks that have leadership responsibilities, some of that as you get your, put your kind of your, your brand on this brand, for lack of a better way? Yes, very much so. We have uh, a senior project manager that's running our major project here in Hermiston that we just started. And this office for 18 months has probably done, has done virtually no work. We've done little tiny projects. So we're back into the core market. And that was for some strategic decisions that were made that were bad decisions. So the company didn't focus on its core market. So we're mm-hmm. back in our core market. We've been awarded major project. I meet with him virtually almost every other day. Mm-hmm. We get in at six in the morning and right now he's going to site. So I'll be starting to meet him at site. But at six in the morning, we'll go in and have a cup of coffee We'll just talk about some of these kinds of things, helping him with where the soft skills he needs to develop are, where the project is. And we're in week two. So when I say early stages, we're just leveling the site, mm-hmm. 126 acre site. Mm-hmm. So, so I do that. I make a point of talking with my area manager and office manager in Pocatillo usually two, two to three times a week. Mm-hmm. And they're just soft conversations. Mm-hmm. And we talk about leadership skills uh, because I've got very different personalities, and which is typical to running an organization. Mm-hmm. And they lead with different kinds of styles. Mm-hmm. But we focus on getting helping build a culture of values, of what we're trying to accomplish, and we just to put in context, we are a company that's in a very unusual circumstance right now. We are doubling our volume from last year to next year. Wow. Our sold volume already for next year is twice of what this year is. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of work that we're all doing, focusing people on remembering that as we ramp up for all this work, that's a big jump, mm-hmm. scary jump, actually, as a leader. Yeah. You know, we in the construction industry, we used to always talk about how big, you know, how many millions of dollars and everything we're doing. We're doing four billion, five billion, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think early on, I learned hmm, big jumps from a leadership point of view, mm-hmm. real scary. Yeah, keeping that culture in place, keeping the controls in place, delivering on the promises to the clients Mm -hmm. so that you're not over, you know, not growing too fast. And we're, we're pretty conservative. My uh, head of operations and I have these very sober conversations about when we say no, because we, we know where that, where that is. Yeah. And so along with the soft skills, it's overtaxing people with too much. Yeah which then erodes away their ability to do the soft stuff. 
they're so focused on just getting it built. Yeah, there's a um, gentleman that founded something called, it's now called FMI, a large consulting firm in our industry. I'm sure you're aware of them. Uh, they originally called the Fails Management Institute. And Emil Fails, the founder, had, had this phrase. Uh, the phrase was, profit thrills, volume kills. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, and Absolutely. that certainly is true and, and says it very, very well. So I wanted to kind of, it's kind of a little bit of a curveball. You know, one of the set of phrases that I subscribe to very heavily, in fact, you've, you may have heard me say it in one of our uh, chair meetings back when we were both connected to, to uh, McKay, a quote from a leadership author by the name of Steve Farber, a gentleman who's a good friend and, and my mentor. And in, in his first book that he published 20 years ago, he said this, he said, do what you love in the service of people who love what you do. How does the word love sound to you as you step into this leadership role at, at uh, Swagger Brothers? And what, what does it mean to you? Interesting. Uh, it's, hmm. it's a term I use. I love what I do. Mm-hmm. I love the involvement with the people. I'm passionate about that. Uh, I, I openly talk about it with people when we, uh, we have weekly safety meetings here for the office locally as well as in the site in the field. And we talk about, I talk about frequently how much I enjoy the people, how much I love the environment we're in. I think showing that kind of humanity as a leader is very effective. Mm -hmm. I think it rallies people around you because you become real to them. You're not closed off. You're not building walls that don't make you human. I'm cautious about socializing, frankly, with mm-hmm. the folks I work with. Mm-hmm. We interact, but we don't go out for drinks afterwards because I came from an era in the industry where you used to go out for drinks with everybody after work. Oh, yeah. We don't do that. Yeah. But I will go in and sit down in somebody's office. and We get to talk about their kids or their husband or their life. Mm-hmm. So this love term you know, takes, takes on a lot of different forms in how you behave in the organization. And it creates, I love the quote you gave because it does really manifest in that you, you love what you do and you care about the people you're working with, then there's a greater probability that they're going to become immersed in that same kind of feeling. Yes. And it becomes a culture then a soft culture, if you will, mm-hmm. in the organization. Yeah. Um, one of the, we did a, an employee survey here a bit ago, uh, maybe four months after I started. But one of the things that came out of that were a number of people saying that the culture of the organization had changed to a more positive one. Good. Which is a wonderful reinforcement of what you're trying to do as a leader. Mm-hmm. But the people did notice So this thing I talked about earlier in my comment about being openly critical of people in front of others, doing things that we know are not good management styles, that changed. And the pattern of how the organization behaved has definitely become a happier, fun, more fun place to be around. Mm -hmm. Good. That's terrific. So this might be be our last question. I wish we could talk longer. If I were to ask, you know, your operations manager, 
who uh, is obviously a critical role in, in your organization, how he would describe you. Can you come up with words that you think he might honestly offer to me to describe Lee Benish? Yeah, that's a great, great question. We, we actually, it would be fun to mm-hmm. ask Ray that question. Mm-hmm. I'll have to do that. Long, I'm going to do a long answer to that question, not a quick one with a couple of words because context is important. Ray is a very experienced builder out mm-hmm. of Kiwit mm-hmm. from all over the world. And when he first met me, he was concerned about two things. One, that they were bringing somebody in originally that was going to be a young MBA type, mm-hmm. which he detests. And he says, at least they brought somebody in that's old enough mm-hmm. to know enough. So he said, I like the fact you're older than I am. <laughs> so I, one of the characteristics that I know he would talk about yeah. is that I'm old <laughs> and that I am, that he's grown to respect the fact that I don't know heavy civil work. I don't come from a heavy civils background. You know, the vocabulary around here is naming equipment by its mm-hmm. cat right. brand and what it is. And I'm, you know, another hold on mm-hmm. the language to me, but that he's learned. I think he would say that I'm somebody that manages the leadership side mm-hmm. very effectively because he mm-hmm. does not want this job. Absolutely mm-hmm. does not want this job. Uh, it makes that openly clear. He said, I do mm-hmm. not want to do what you do. And he, he would give me, he would probably describe me as fect- effective with dealing mm-hmm. with our mm-hmm. owner. Good. Uh, because that's what prior to me getting here, that was mm-hmm. a major problem. The leadership that was here before me was creating mm-hmm. too many tensions and not learning how to work with your mm-hmm. owner effectively what their needs yeah. are and what they said. So I, I think the, that's kind of a description. I, it's really a hard one to do, Dennis. It's a great question. It makes me want to ask him that question. Well, you can, when this our, our interview is published, you can ask him to listen to it. And he said, and particularly listen to the last two or three minutes. And I want to talk to you about that. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway. See, see what, you, what would you have said to that question? Exactly. Lee, this has been a, a, one, a great conversation. I feel like we've, it's almost been like a, a case study a conversation. We we're talking about the business that you're now leading. It sounds exciting. I'm sure you're doing good things. I mean, I just know from the exposure I've had to you, your personality is one that, uh, that brings out the best in people. You have a positive energy. And I think that folks like this operations manager, that's what he's telling you. And I think that's, uh, that's a quality of leadership that is absolutely essential to, to make the whole, the whole ball roll in the direction that it needs to roll, and you're the one that's orchestrating that direction. So thanks for taking the time to be on the Soft to Sail podcast. Well, thank you, Dennis. I enjoyed it very much, and I wish you all well and enjoyed this a lot. Good. We'll see each other, I'm sure. Take care. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of the Soft to Steel podcast with your host, Dennis Duran. Dennis is the author of Soft as Steel and a leading speaker and trainer for organizations across many industries and verticals. To learn more about the work Dennis is doing to activate soft skills in the workplace, contact him at DennisDuranSpeaking.com. Be sure to check out his book, Soft as Steel, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. 
And please remember to share this episode with your friends, colleagues, and anyone you feel would benefit from the conversation. We'll see you next time on the Softest Steel Podcast with Dennis Duran. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world. 